Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter of James, Wisdom for Wholeness. Here, James uses Old Testament wisdom literature, as well as teaching from his own half-brother Jesus, to call the church throughout the age to a life wholly devoted to God. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life, so as to make people complete in him. Colossians 1.28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let's start by praying. God, you call us to prayer. You say that your house is a house of prayer. And we recognize the reason that is so is because you are not here for us to see and to touch and to feel but rather you call for us to talk to you and to come to you as children boldly before your throne because you are the one that moves. It is not the flesh, but rather the spirit who does things. So we call on you to work in our midst this morning. We call on you to make your word so evident and clear to us that we repent and obey and believe and you draw our hearts to love you I pray as we look into your text this morning that we would not be hearers only and walk away from the mirror untouched and forget what we saw, but rather we would be those who see ourselves in the perfect law of liberty and persevere and be obeyers or doers of what you say to do. As the one who we love, the captain of our faith, he who is our Lord and Savior, we desire to know and love you and to love others the way that you loved others. So I pray this morning your Holy Spirit's work to be done in my heart and to the hearer's heart, that we would respond in faith, believing. Would you strengthen us that Christ would dwell in us through faith, that you would strengthen us according to your glorious riches in our inner being by the Spirit, to accept what you have for us and to be changed by you. We love you. We declare our love for you and our own inability to love you. It is your work in us, and so we give all glory to Jesus Christ in his church. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we, like every other Sunday or every other day, we cling to the promises that are true in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's familiar. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And now, it is my responsibility and, and privilege to bring us the scriptures so that you may be made complete and equipped for every good work, ready to do the work of the ministry. If you've been around Cornerstone at all for any length of time, you know that we take Ephesians 4 seriously. The elders, our job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. That is your job, to do the ministry, to love the world around you, to obey. It's not as though it's not our job at all, but our job is to equip you so that you might do the work of the ministry. It's not on us as five elders to do all the work of the ministry. And so this morning as we gather together, it's my responsibility then to do that, to give you the word so that you would be equipped for every good work and so that you may be mature in Christ. So we turn to teaching and preaching the scriptures. Some of you may have been wondering, or perhaps you've picked up on it the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about. We are headed toward a specific book. 
I have to say, I really thought that I might go into maybe like the Song of Solomon for its beauties, or perhaps Obadiah for its coarse judgments. But I think probably in wisdom right now, we're going to start something that's a little more straightforward. That does not mean, by the way, we will never get the Song of Solomon or Obadiah, because I think that we still believe that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true. All Scripture, all of it is good for instruction or profitable for teaching and correction. So we will get there. However, if you know and you've been around Cornerstone long enough, you know that we are, our conviction is to be going book by book through the text and allow it to be exposed to us and then how that changes our life. It's called expository preaching. That's what we're doing. We still believe that the text is relevant to us, not as though our ideas about it and then grab a few verses and hopefully bolster our ideas. That's good preaching. We, we, we know that there are good topical sermons, but we still believe in the strength and the, the purity of going back to the text and allowing the text to give us the direction. So this morning, we will be starting in the book of James. Uh, now, normally, we'd read the entire passage, and we'd pray, and then we'd go through the text. But to tell you the truth, I'm asking you, if you have your Bibles to turn there, what I want you to do is get, whether you use a pen to stick in there or use that little ribbon in your Bible, whatever it is, I want you to put that there, because that's where we're going to be for the foreseeable future. Over the next few months, we'll travel from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of James. Today, to start things off, we'll do something a little bit different than usual. We'll talk in greater detail next week about James as a piece of biblical literature, uh, who is sending it, the, the audience that possibly could be reading it, the times and life of what's going on in this. But for now, I'd like for us to first approach James as most likely the same way that the original Christian churches would have experienced it. James is a letter. It is a letter that was sent. It is not what we would consider a normal letter, simply because it's very different from Paul's letters, where we have a specific greeting, we have grace and peace to you, all these different formulaic things that he is, he is writing this letter. At the end, he's like, hey, please greet Sylvanus over here and these people and that. It's not a letter like that. Usually Paul is, is, is helping us understand one part of a theology to start ripping it apart, understanding it better, and then give us some really good uh, application from it. James is not that way. James, if I can say this, is a sermon. It was a written sermon. It would be, we, some would call it a homily. The purpose of this then is something that would be to exhort the hearers to write living as they send this letter out. And so today, I am going to use James's words to preach the message of James. I am going to, as it were, act out this sermon, not with props and stuff like that, but I am going to go through it so that we understand it as an original hearer would hear this letter. So, and just so you understand, this will be more dynamic than what we're going to see in the text. I am going to, in a sense, take some liberties to put some different things in different places so that you can understand as a hearer how it would have hit the first time. So if you'll give me that, just I realize that I'm not giving word for word. I want us to understand it, and I think it would be much better than you saying, oh, great, cop out, Chris just read us the text today. Rather, I think this is actually crucially important for us to hear the whole. There's a great deal of wisdom, I believe, in us reading big chunks of Scripture. I mean, that takes us an hour to read. There is value in that. We start to see a bigger picture than just our one nugget for the day, and as we go on to the next thing, we hear this nugget and that. 
So there's very great value in this. And what we will do then today, as I said, is walk through the entire book or this letter of James, this sermon, this homily, so that we can understand what Pastor James is doing as he addresses his hearers, this congregation. And I realize, like I said, it's a bit risky because you might be like, turn off, he's just going to read to us. I would ask you to reconsider. This is the reading of Scripture, so first of all, it's inherently important. But second of all, you can see it in a new way that we don't get to see it very often. You get to see the whole thing at once. And that's why it's important for you to be an active listener. It's not okay that you just let it roll over you. You cannot be a dumb Christian today. You need to be thinking this through, asking the questions, working it out and saying, how does that connect with that? And following James' argument as he works through the entire book. But since this is a little bit unusual, this is not something we normally do, and I can tell you I won't be doing this when we do the book of Isaiah, you know, or any of these things. Let me try to prepare you how to do this. How can we get through this? So there's a, a few things that I want you to do so that you can hear this sermon well. I'm going to share a few important thoughts that I think will help us to understand the book of James as it is written and how it is pertinent to us. Because what I'm going to do is go through this entire thing, make a few short comments at the end, and we're going to pray and be done. So this sermon is for us, the entire sermon. The first thing as we go into this, first and foremost, actually as Cornerstone, I believe, we need to note that James is writing to try to accomplish the same thing that we are trying to accomplish here at Cornerstone. What is that? I began by reading Colossians 1.28, the text from which we draw our church purpose statement. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. Our goal is to work with all our energy that he gives to us to present everyone perfect or mature or complete in Christ. And if you don't remember, let me say, that's for those who sit here this morning that do believe and trust. That's for those of us that are here this morning and just curious. That's for those of us who think they know, but they don't actually know Christ. That's also for the unbeliever. This is all-encompassing in its scope. So different things happen along the way, but we're trying to make all men perfect in Christ Jesus, which is an incredible task to try to handle. In fact, we can't do it. But Jesus will build his church. And so we pursue the same things that Jesus is pursuing, and we want to make all men perfect in Christ Jesus or mature. You'll see that I'm not making this up as far as James is concerned. If you look at verse 4 in chapter 1, he actually uses the words. He says in verse 4 that, that you are, he's wanting these Christians to be perfect and complete. Get those words? Complete, perfect, mature, lacking in nothing. He is asking and wanting them to be steadfast so that they may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. In other words, so that they would grow into the same things that we're trying to see, that maturity in Christ. Now, another way for us to understand this word perfect or uh, mature or complete, I think is important, whole, W-H-O-L-E, that we are trying to become whole Christians. This is the word that James use, uses. This is the same word that Paul uses in Colossians. And one more step back, this is the same word that Jesus uses back in Matthew 5. If you remember when Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he's using that word. That's the same word that we're pursuing as a church. Now, when Jesus says that, it is overwhelming. 
How am I to be perfect that way? Quick thing here for us to think about is this idea of perfection, the way that we understand the English word, is not the same word that's being used here. It certainly has a part of it. But again, we're looking at something that's more like complete or whole, a whole person, someone whose heart matches what their actions are doing. So that you don't have a, uh, like a division. And rather, they want to be, Jesus is wanting us to be a whole person. Be whole like your Father in heaven is whole. He is not divided. If you remember what Jesus' words, he says, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. That's what he's getting after. God doesn't serve two masters. He's all about his glory, and rightly so. He's all about that, and there's no division in God or Jesus Christ or the Spirit as those three in one unite. He is perfect and whole in that way. And he calls us to holiness, but not holiness and just moral righteousness and being doing good things over and over again. Again, we're seeing this as a bigger thing, and a perfect man then is not someone who's never sinned. It's not someone who will never sin again. Rather, a perfect man is one who is wholly devoted to the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. And if you missed last week, we went to Matthew 22 when the lawyer says, what's the greatest command? Not the second commandment is what Jesus says is the most important. He starts with the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It was no accident that we started here. We want our insides, our heart, to match our outsides, our actions. What Matthew is showing that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is one way, right? Like so the Pharisees are really good at doing the law. They're very good at doing all the stuff. But when Jesus says to them, well, remember he, he tells the guy in Luke, he says, go ahead then, and he, the, the, the man says, who is my neighbor? He says, go love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? He is trying to limit the things that he has to do because his heart is not there. And if you remember, we went back to Matthew 7, the most terrifying passage in the New Testament. It reminds us that they said, Lord, we did mighty acts in your name. Lord, we prophesied your name. We did countless things for you. And Jesus responds to them and says, I never knew you. So what we did last week to lay the foundation here is that the primary thing is our relationship, our covenant relationship with God, that he is jealous for that. And that he said so much so that Jesus says the entire Old Testament, all the law and the prophets are summed up and hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we look and we pursue this type of a thing, we realize that when he's speaking to the Pharisees, they've got the actions down, but they have no heart for God. They do not love him. What James is doing is the opposite. Still the same issue. There's still not wholeness they are not one. There are two different things. They're saying they have faith and they have wholeness and they, and they love God, but their actions aren't showing it. So as we get into this, it is not as though there are two different camps in the Bible, like, oh, you're willing to be worried about your heart. Oh, no, you're willing to be worried about works. Again, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They are inseparable. It is what it means to be whole in Christ. And so when we say to each other, we want to see God work in us so that we would be perfect in Christ, we would be whole in Christ, this is what we're talking about. That our insides 
would match our outsides. That's what James is all about. And again, since he's preaching this sermon to help Christians become perfect and complete and whole, I think it's important for us as Cornerstone to listen. This is a message for us. So that's the first thing. The second thing as we listen here, you're going to experience the feeling at like being at Bush Gardens and looking at the carousel. And around, and you see, oh, there's a red horse. And then it goes away. Oh, the red horse came back. Oh, then it went away again. And then and eventually you say, oh, there's a green horse. Oh, that's cool. And then, and then it goes away. Oh, the green horse came back. In other words, James is very cyclical. Man, that was loud. He's very cyclical. He is showing us things over and over again. Unlike Paul, Paul will give us a point. Then he'll give us a sub-point. Then he'll give us the, the things that support those things. Then he'll start talking about the ramifications. Then he'll give us practical applications. And then he'll say, praise be to the Lord, and done. James is doing something very different. He is going to start with some topic, then he'll leave it. He's going to get into another topic, and then he'll leave that. Then get another topic, and then he'll come back. We'll start to say, hey, he said this again. And he started this one again. He said this one again. He's very much, if you remember, this is years ago when Stacy did 1 John. A Jewish writer is writing very cyclically. They're trying to come back to it. It's a, it's a style. And we may be anointed at first and say, hey, finish your thought, man. Get it done. But again, it is an effective way for us to learn because he's highlighting each time, going to something else, whether it's giving us ramifications of it or he's giving us the background or he's telling us exactly what to do about it. So it's important for us to not like, be annoyed and be like, okay, you already talked about that. No, it's very important that we come because he's trying to say something that elevates it or changes it. So listen for the similarities. You as a listener need to listen and make sure when you do hear something that's similar, say, what is he doing from the last time that's different? What are the differences? Is he heightening this? Is he helping us better understand it? Why is he doing this? So James is likely helping us to understand it better and exhorting us, again, like I said, to do something about it. The third thing that I want you to realize is that there are three major horses on James' merry-go-round. We have three major themes that run through this book. If you do any study of the book or read anything, scholars are all over the board on this. One said that there are nine major themes in the book of James. That is like so unhelpful for me. Like I'm constantly looking, which one of the nine is this theme? Like that's not helpful for me. It's just, it's like it's scatterbrained to me. Others will say that there are just myriad different lessons to be learned and that there's no cohesion. I, I think that there's, there's one more camp that is helpful for me, and that's to see that there are three major themes. So let me give you the three major themes. The first one is steadfastness. The second is wisdom. The third is this idea of partiality or uh, favoritism. Let me explain them. This idea of steadfastness, or your translation may say patience or endurance, You'll hear this come up several times and start to understand that the concept of endurance and patience as we live on this pilgrimage away from our true and lasting home. You'll even hear at the very end, I love this, that there's like this good thing and it's a good thing to help others remain steadfast as well. So that's steadfastness. Then you have this idea of wisdom. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. That does not mean that there are several maxims that are totally disconnected or that they're somehow pick this up and pick this up and pick this up and they're all different and separated. Rather, I think it's important for us to see that James goes through the definition of what true wisdom is. Now he helps to show us how to receive that wisdom, that implanted word. We help, and he helps us understand how then we're supposed to live from it, what we're supposed to do with it. 
examples of what good wisdom looks like, and he even gives examples of anti-wisdom when we are conquered by our own sinful passions and desires. Wisdom acts a certain way, and it looks like one who has their tongue that is tamed. It looks like one who prays and gives like actual care towards the relationship he has with God. And it shows that a wise man is one who follows this way. So we have steadfastness, we have wisdom. The third, the sin of partiality or favoritism. This is highlighting the issue that we see. You're going to see this over and over come up between the rich and the poor. And both are wrong in their assessment of the situation. And even those that are on the outside, because they show some sort of favoritism, they judge between the two different groups. And they have a certain way of looking at that. So you're going to see this judging language come up over and over and over again. And James will show the reader that partiality or favoritism is judging and it is anti-God. It is the wrong way. So that being said, as we gain this perspective and consider these preliminary thoughts, will hopefully help us pull this together and help you hear James well. I'd like to ask you to do one last thing. And this is strange for a pastor to ask his congregation. I'd like you to close your Bibles. I want you to do that because I want you to hear, and I don't want you to be distracted to go, where is he at? Is he at verse 25? Or where? I want you to engage and listen so that you might understand and so that you can start thinking it through. So I know that's strange. You can go back later and see if I was a heretic through the podcast. That's fine. I won't be, I hope. My goal here is for us to hear it how James' original readers and listeners would have heard it. So let's do it. This is the letter then to James. James' letter from James. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded in all of his ways, unstable. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire or passions. Then desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's, there's no variation or no shadow that's due to change. He doesn't change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear 
slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, and instead, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who intently looks at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away, and at once he forgets what he saw. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but instead a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This person's religion is utterly worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality, favoritism, as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, ah, you should sit here in this great seat, and you say to the other, here, you can sit over here or just sit at my feet over here. While you say those things, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you've dishonored this poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, the one that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that type of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things that they actually need for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have, if it does not have works, is dead. And someone, a genuine believer, will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's great. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown then, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is utterly worthless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was, compl- faith was completed by his works. And the scripture then says, and it was fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called then a friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and then she sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works. It's dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. My point is this. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. You know this context. Though they are so large and driven by the winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the captain goes. So also the tongue. It is a small member, yet it boasts of very great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small spark, a little fire. And the tongue, it is a fire. It is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and reptile and bird and sea creature, they can all be tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness and image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Or can like a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a vine produce figs? No, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and in fact, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder of every vile kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you have, do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, your desires. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's of no purpose that the scriptures say the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. 
be wretched and, and, and weep. Let your silly laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and then he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer, but you are a judge. There is only one lawgiver, one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and we will make a profit. Yet you have no idea what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures here in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying a gout against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he doesn't resist you. The Lord of hosts, he has had it reach his ears. So therefore, brothers, therefore, since the cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Steadfastness. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also then be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Brothers, don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold the judge, he is standing at the door. As example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and he is merciful. But above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Lastly, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man who's just like a nature, just like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
What a great way to end. Uh, again, a bit unconventional, but a good ending. It's so important, and it is a joyous thing for a sinner that they be brought back from their wandering. It's kind of like a rescue steadfastness here. They'd go in and do this. It is James' desire then that we maintain and remain steadfast and grow to full maturity in Jesus Christ, lacking in nothing. This brings us back to that first thing we talked about. Consider our purpose. My beloved brothers, let us not waver in the pursuit of making every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That means you. That means me. That means as we do this, we need to hear from this ancient Christian pastor as he exhorts us not only to believe the right things, but then the object of that that belief changes us and helps us to obey him and further his kingdom. And then we see him change us into mature worshipers, those that are whole, that are devoted to Jesus Christ, not devoted just to good works without a relationship that is centered on him alone, but rather our trajectory constantly is back to him. And when we know him and see him, we realize that loving our neighbor is who he is. And he is not divided, but rather we want to be perfect and whole like he is perfect. That's why we're reading James. We want to be perfect. We want to be whole. We want to see and be wholly devoted to our Lord and Savior, who is of his own will, excuse me, who of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth. Let's pray that God would do that in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. We are constantly distracted by our own desires, by the world around us, by our fears, by our lusts, by our desires for ease or renown. Would you please give us a heart that's whole? Would you cause us to love you? Would you give us a heart of repentance and faith to turn from our wickedness that we love these other things and God as though they were some other type of God? They are only so-called gods. They are idols. Would you remove them from our hearts and may we continually come back to love and worship you alone? Holy Spirit, would you work in us that you would strengthen us to believe that through faith Christ might dwell in and through us so that we may then live the life that we're living here in this body by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us and loved us. We pray your blessing on your people today as we obey in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For other sermons on the book of James and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.